You're listening to the New City Church Podcast. These episodes are recorded live on Gadigal land. Sometimes the audio quality might not be perfect because what you're listening to is a conversation. We don't edit out the chatter. We think that's what makes it authentic. Wherever you're tuning in from, we hope you find this episode encouraging. As Matt said, we're in the middle of a, a three-week series on trauma-informed church. Um, now, if you are a person who has any sort of empathy at all, you should at that point be like, ooh, okay, um, this, this sounds like something that is deep and potentially dangerous to just like waltz on into. Um, so we're going to do it gently. Um, if you were here last week, you'll know that um, typically we do a bit of discussion throughout our, our weeks together. We're not doing that in these three weeks. So you don't have to say anything for the rest of the gathering. You can just sit there um, or you can walk out. You, this is your, you're off the hook. Um, you don't need to say anything. You can just enjoy or not enjoy. It's, it's up to you. Um, why are we talking about trauma, I guess, is one of the questions we have to ask. Uh, we know that church is complex for a lot of people. We know that walking into a space where we talk about God can be complex, a space where we talk about the Bible can be really hard because a lot of us have seen the Bible weaponized. The Bible weaponized against ourselves, against our loved ones. We see in the states with the Supreme Court decision this week, the way that conservative Christian rhetoric has flared up. We see deep division, we see pain, we see hurt. It's it's everywhere. Um, and so we want to be a church that is safe. Part of being a church that is safe is understanding how trauma works. It's understanding how trauma actually plays out. Because trauma, uh, it's a loser. Like, it, it just pops up at the wrong time often. And it it gets in the way and we want to move on in life, but we find ourselves in these same old patterns and we can't for the life of us work out what is going on. And, and until we unpack it, until we understand a little bit how it works and sits in the corner and niggles away at us, and until we wrestle with that, we're, as a church, we're just going to keep going in circles. And, and I want, uh, and the leaders of this church really want us to be in a space where we can name it and start that healing. Um, So I said last week, and I'll say it again, uh, it's called Trauma-Informed Church, this series, but we're actually not going to spend too much time looking at trauma. We want to focus on trauma healing and how do we actually move forward. So with that in mind, um, it's not your typical sermon, I guess. We're not going to go through the Bible or a passage systematically as we often do. We're going to fall back on some trauma research and use that as our point of authority. Controversial. <laughs> and, um, and I guess just, just one last bit of context um, the reason I'm speaking about this tonight is because I'm really passionate about it. Um, I certainly don't feel like an expert, but I've done a lot of reading and a lot of research in this space. Um, and I work through the week as a, uh, a social worker. That's my day job, part of my day job uh, as a social worker with young people who've experienced trauma. So my background is developmental trauma. That's how I came into this. And then in more recent years, I've, I've been doing research around spiritual trauma and what that looks like. So that, 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 I guess, is just context for why I'm doing this. Um, I got a gum leaf. 
Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Um, I'm going to put it in this bag of goodies. I'm going to shake it up. Um, and Elke, you're up first. Do you want to just take something out of that bag? It's, it's a bit of a lucky dip. Could be anything. Um, take something out of the bag. Um, grab, there's, a, there's a few different pizza. Oh, it's a heavy one. Okay. Can you um, take a good smell of that and pass it on? Pass it down the line. And when it gets to you, Jess, you want to just pass it back. And, um, and as we go through the night, a candle will come past you. Just take a good sniff and, and pass it on. Um, tonight, we are looking at the impacts of trauma on the mind and the body. Tonight, we're zooming in on the individual. Next week, we're going to zoom out and look at the church and the church context. Tonight, we're zooming into the individual to say what's, what's happening for any, any given person in the context of trauma. Last week, in order to define trauma, and I'll just do a bit of a recap for those, for those who weren't here. In order to define trauma, this is what we did. We spoke about an exercise that, we, that I've done with a few people that I, I, I'm not going to do with you and I didn't do last week, where I say, um, imagine if I asked you to think of song lyrics, choose a song that you know, that you quite like, and a, you know, pull up the song lyrics, um, and then I say, okay, well, great, what we're going to do is in this big group, I'm just going to point to you and you're going to stand up and sing that song. And at that point, we stop and say, what's going on for you in your body? Um, and we, we saw last week, you know, I'm feeling it now. Um, yeah, you start shaking, your heart starts racing, your blood starts pulsing, your fingers go tingly, your cheeks go numb, and, and your body responds. That's your body's fight, flight, freeze mechanism. It's your body getting you ready for danger. It's an incredible mechanism. It's really, really beautiful when it works. Uh, trauma, or a good way to think about trauma, is when your fight, flight, freeze mechanism, all of, those, all of those symptoms keep happening even when the danger has passed or that there is no more danger. But there's something that triggers, um, which I find a somewhat unhelpful word, but it's what we've got. Uh, you might smell something that reminds you of danger or you might hear something that reminds you of a time that you were in danger. And that danger could be physical danger. It could be that you were, you were physically in danger or it could be reputational danger, could be relational danger, it could be spiritual danger, all, all sorts of danger in which you didn't have control. And so your body responds. Um, and tonight, I want to I wanna unpack, using a bit of a model that we use in, in my workplace, what's going on for you in that moment and how do we work towards healing? So that, that's where we're heading, that's where we're, we're tracking. Thomas, can we get on the next slide up here? Um, this is where we're, we're going. You'll see week three is when we're going to zoom out and really we'll get into the nitty gritty of what does this mean for our church. Tonight, I'm going to talk about what does it mean for you as an individual. Next slide. Uh, last week, we drew out, drew out these big principles of healing, the idea that context of healing will always be based in respect, there'll be information sharing, there'll be connection, and there'll be hope. Um, if, if you missed that, you can go and listen to last week's podcast um, to, to catch up. But they're, they're, the, they're the overarching principles that we're looking at. Elkie, time to go again. Time to go again. What's it going to be? Ooh, ooh. Um, it's an essential oil. Fun. Um, okay, next slide. I want you to picture this as the brain. Really realistic, okay. Um, this, is, this is a model 
of the brain that uh, a, a guy called Dr. Bruce Perry came up with. He uh, has a, a way of thinking about trauma healing called the neurosequential model. Um, this, this is the model that we use at school all the time when we're thinking through developmental trauma and how that then impacts adulthood. But it's, it, the, the model works all over the place. So this is your brain. Um, when you are very young, the smallest triangle down the very bottom, next slide, is really all that you got. You're not particularly bright. Um, no offense to babies, but they can hack it. Um, uh, your brain hasn't developed very far. So this is the first part of your brain that develops, your brain stem. And you still have a brain stem. Um, all, all of you, well done, you've got a brain stem. The brain stem controls all of your autonomic, your, your automatic uh, functions within your body. So, for example, you can keep your heart breathing without even, sorry, your heart beating. None of you give your heart breathing. Um, you keep your heart beating without even thinking about it. That's amazing. That's remarkable. You can just keep breathing without ever giving it a thought. In fact, it's when you think about it that you get into trouble and you stop breathing. Um, your spleen is functioning, I hope. Your kidneys just keep going. Like It's all of these automatic things that the body keeps going with. And then there's also sensory perception. So you put your hand on a hot plate, you recognize it's hot, and you take it off. Often, before you even consciously think, damn, that's hot, you've already removed your hand because your brainstem, which it sits on your lower part of your brain, hence it's the, the bottom of the triangle. If you picture your brain kind of like this as a fist with your little thumb underneath, that little thumb there, that's your little brainstem. Um, and it's working in overtime to keep you alive. And it generally does a pretty good job. If things go wrong with the brainstem, we're in trouble. Next layer, a diencephalon. And that's your motor skills. You've got your fine motor skills and your gross motor skills. Fine are your, you know, you're, you're running with a pencil. Your gross motor skills, you're kicking a ball. I suck at both. But I can generally get through life okay. That's your diencephalon. Next level, as you get older, you hit your limbic system. You might be 13, 14. You're developing through life and you realize you have a crush on someone and your limbic system kicks into gear almost for the first time. And it keeps developing throughout your adolescence. The limbic system takes care of your emotional regulation and the way that you relate in space to other people. So it's your, your relationship. As I said, this is a model of the brain. It's not strictly hierarchical. You don't kind of have a, a spot in your brain called the limbic system, but it's just a way to help, help think through the functions that we have. Um, but the limbic system, it enables you to relate on a deeper level to people, but also to understand when a bus driver is cranky at you, why? But your limbic system helps you to, to navigate the complexities of relationships because relationships are really tough, yeah? And then we have the final one, and that's your cortex. That's your higher level thinking. It enables language. It enables creativity. It enables maths. It enables abstract thinking. It's not going to fully form until you're about 25. It is your top part of your brain. So the cortex is, it's, it physically kind of covers the rest of your brain. Um, and that is where you spend most of your time when you're calm. Yeah, that, that's, that's most of your time. So you sitting here, if you're feeling fairly calm, you know, you're 
your breathing isn't too intense, your, your cortex is engaged. And that's how you can take in what I'm saying and say, oh, that's interesting, but it's a bit of bull. You can take it and critique it and think it through and apply it. So, so your cortex, fingers crossed, is online. Does that make sense so far? Yeah, it's, it's not too complex, but I think it's a helpful model for thinking through uh, through how our brain works. So let's apply it to trauma, but before we do, Elkie, you're up again. It's Peter and Adrian's Mandarin. Ooh, have a smell. Um, I made some juice out of this the other day. It's not that exact one, uh, and it's good. Um, so that's, that's the brain when it's functioning well. Can we go to the next slide, Thomas? Okay. This, oh, sorry, that, that, that's, that's you right now. You're not thinking too much about, uh, you know, keeping your lungs active at this point in time. If I say to you, think about keeping your lungs active, suddenly you are, but that's because you're using your cortex to actually override your brainstem. Yeah? So your cortex online speaking to the, the brainstem saying, I've got this and taking over. Okay, next slide. One second. Ooh, interesting. So the people on Zoom can see it as well. Okay. This is where things get complicated. When I say to you, stand up and sing, this is what happens. Your cortex shuts down. Your limbic system says, oh, this isn't going to be useful at this point. What I need right now is to either get out of this room, I need to flee, or I need to fight and say, Joel, F off, or I'm going to freeze and I'm going to look away from you and I'm, not, I'm going to shut down. I'm not going to make eye contact. Uh, it's, it's what happens when our body has a trauma response and our brainstem kicks into gear to say, okay, I've got you. I got you at this point. I'm going to shoot adrenaline into your body. I'm going to give you a hit of cortisol. I'm going to make you move so fast. And we're discussing this last week. At that point, you are stronger than what you were 20 seconds ago. Like you are fit, your muscles are stronger. You can run faster. Your pupils are dilated. You can take in so much more information and your brain is running on absolute overload because you're in danger zone. Your brainstem is just hurtling on out of there. Now, as we said, really good if you've got a tiger in front of you. Really bad if what you want to do is step into church and just enjoy a service. Yeah? Really good if you're in danger. Really bad if what you want to do is actually go and have coffee with a friend. But the last time you had coffee with a friend, you were told that you're going to get kicked out of your friendship group. Yeah? Really good if you are having to swerve in an accident, but really bad if you're then wanting to just get back in the car and drive again, yeah? And, and all of these things come back up again and you're there being like, oh, my body, why is it fighting against me at this point? And everything else has shut down and you're in what we'd call a trauma response. Now, you can imagine if all of that has gone out the window, over the long term, what happens to people who've experienced trauma and they're, they're not on that journey towards healing or they've, they've begun that journey, but it's not quite there yet. 
uh, and their ability to navigate relationships and emotions is really gone out the window, that becomes complex. And so we know that people who've experienced trauma in the past struggle to make friends. Or when they make friends, they struggle to keep those friends because they're looking over their shoulder thinking, what are my friends saying about me? Or do I feel safe in this situation? Or they talk themselves through every conversation that they've ever had to say, am I at fault here? Is it, is it my bad that my friendship circle seems to be falling apart? Now, if we were to observe it objectively, if that's a possible thing, most people would say, no, that person's doing quite fine. But the internal dialogue that's going on because of trauma, it's all over the shop. And I can see some people nodding, being like, yeah, yeah, we, we, we see this pattern. We can apply that pattern directly to church. When church has been unsafe for people, being asked to come into a space and just make friends, like that, that's not an option um, because that part of the brain is so offline. And so the goal for a trauma-informed church is to make people feel safe where they can start bringing the rest of themselves online. They can actually start bringing some of those high-level things online. So if we go to the next slide, ooh, not that one. Um, if we go to the next slide after, it was just the, the bright little triangle at the bottom. Yeah. Um, this, this is what we want to do. We want to bring it back all online. So next slide again. There's two ways, and this is where I'm going to kind of land it and say, here's two different ways that we use in our school um, and in our health space when we're working with young people and their families who've experienced trauma, that we help them to bring their, their mind and their body back online so that they can relax. So th this is the strategies that I want to talk about today. Elke, you're up again. Get the furry one. Maybe not furry, like it feels like leaves. Yeah, that one, that one. Picked it from my garden. Um, there, there's two approaches, and these are the two overarching approaches that I think just really helpful strategies to think about. One is top-down, the other one is bottom-up. Top-down, bottom-up, fairly simple. Top-down refers to you using your cortex, so that, that top side of your brain, top end of your brain, using your cortex to actually talk yourself through it. That, that's probably the, the most common strategy that we come across in talk-based therapies. You're going to talk yourself through it. Um, this is really good if your cortex isn't fully offline, it's still functioning a little bit. And if we go to the next slide, these are some of the things, oh, not that one still. These are some of the things that a therapist might talk, talk to you about and, and give you uh, they're often phrases that can help people work through it. So, this too shall pass is probably the most common one. You feel your body stressed, uh, anxiety kicks in. You might feel your heart racing. You're, st you're scared to step into the relative's house. And you say to yourself, this too shall pass. This too, and it becomes a mantra. This, this too shall pass. Or, I am strong. 
I am strong, or you can replace that word strong, I am courageous. Um, you might say, the past has passed. I'm not in danger anymore. The past has passed. I'm not in danger anymore. And they, these are strategies that therapists will often give people to talk their way through situations where they're having a trauma response, but there's no danger. Is this making sense so far? It's, it's, it's making general sense. It's not too complicated at this point. And the, the goal of that is to use your cortex to actually, as we said before, almost override the lower parts of those brain and say, come on, brainstem, I got this. You, you don't need to hit me with adrenaline right now. Um, I'm, I'm fine. I'm fine. And so you cognitively work your way through a safe situation. That's, that's the top-down approach. And it works when your cortex, as I said, is, is generally online, at least a little bit. Often, though, it's not, and that's not an option. And so we have to come up with a different way of regulating our bodies, regulating our minds. And so we think of another way of bottom up, okay? And this is where we use those lower parts of the brain to actually bring the cortex online. So we think about it the other direction. In order to do that, there's a few different ones we can do. We've got the limbic system, relationships and emotions. We have a friend who we know is safe, who can say to us, you're good, I'm with you. You've done this before and you got through. I'm here, I'm safe, you're safe. Take some deep breaths. Let, let's do this together. That's, that's a friend co-regulating with you. That's powerful. That's powerful. And the beauty of that is that they become almost like an extended mind. They become part of your regulation strategy. And that is, I think, where church can be so powerful. The number of people who I chat with and I know that stepping into church is going to be hard, and so we say, oh, I'll meet you in the front, front yard. I'll, I'll meet you in the car park. Uh, and we become safe people. And and. I regulate you and you regulate me and we co-regulate together using our, our mirror neurons and we, we walk through that process knowing that we can be safe together. Does that make sense? That's, that's, that's how you might use a limbic system in order to help your mind stay calm. Motor skills, diencephalon, what we use at school, um, I should have brought a photo of it. We have, it sits about yay high um, and it's a giant lycra hammock, and it's got six layers of lycra, and a kid is banging on the door, throwing chairs, throwing bricks. They're, they're so dysregulated, really angry, really upset. You get them on this chair and kind of lob them into this hammock, and it just envelops them, and you watch their body just calm down, and they relax. It's really quite remarkable to watch. And that's using that, those, those motor skills that they have to feel closely entwined. They can relax. Other people might kick a ball around or climb and do rock climbing or go for a run or go for a ride or go for a swim. This is all your strategies around using your body in a way 
that brings your mind back online. Does that make sense? It's something that we do quite naturally and quite comfortably. I think, I think it, it, it's almost intuitive to most of us. It's like, oh, I'm, I'm, you know, we might say, I'm just stuck in my brain. And so we go for a jog. Yeah? This is, this is kind of the, the strategy and just utilizing it well. In church, this looks like I'm a little bit stressed. I'm just going to get up and walk around for a bit. That's what we say every week. Um, th- this, is, this is what it is. It's I'm going to get up and I'm going to get a cup of tea. I'm going to walk outside. I'm just going to get some fresh air. And what we move our body to help our, our minds be calm. The final one is using our brainstem. And this is where I want to just land because I think this is a brilliant one that we don't talk about enough. Using our senses to actually calm ourselves down. Uh, what's been the favorite smell that's been going around the room so far? You like the herb, the thyme? You like the mandarin, the candle? Yeah, yeah. Um, that's an example of, of using a sense to help us stay calm, to help ground us, to help us come back into our mind. At school, we have a whole garden full of herbs that we just take students up into and we'll walk around and I'll just pick lemon leaves and scrunch them up and give them to them. Um, The other week, there was a kid who was just crying. He was so angry. I just picked a rosemary bush and I gave it to him. He's like, oh, Um, and sometimes it works. And you're like, yes, other times it takes a lot more than that. But uh, but uh, it's, it's using the, the deep breathing, the senses, the smell to, to help calm ourselves. So next slide. Um, when we think about this, we use our eight senses. Um, often we think about there's, there's five senses. Let's expand that a little bit. The five that are most commonly known of, next slide, are vision, smell, hearing, taste, touch. Uh, examples of this, the vision of water and trees we know it's calming. Yeah, it's intuitive. I would say it's built into creation by God. Like it's, it's so richly entwined in us that it's healing. So looking at that, smelling, we've already talked about. There's something to be said for home-cooked meals that is just calming, isn't it? Um, and when you, when you start thinking about it through a trauma lens, you're like, oh, this is why I feel so calm in certain places because I'm, I'm using all of these senses in a way that brings me peace and helps my mind come online. Um, hearing, we know that classical music works really well for certain people. Doesn't work for other people. But finding a sound that fits nicely with, with your own rhythms is really good to do. Um, let's keep going. Uh, touch. Um, we know that physical touch between people releases wonderful dopamine. It's problematic if the trauma revolves around touch. And so one of the things that we'll always do here is, Steph did it, but can I, can I put my hand on you, Lucy, and pray for you? We ask. Just, don't just go in for the hug and give someone a big embrace. That's not trauma-informed. It's not safe for some people. And so knowing what is comfortable for people seeking permission and then going in for the hug that's when it becomes healing. Other things to do with tr- touch. Clay, wonderful. You know your feeling of sticking your hand into a bunch of beads? It's just a nice sensation. Um, maybe I'm the only one there because no one said like, yeah, but I just, I'm just like, this is wonderful. Um, baths, they, baths, the, you know, the water just envelops us. 
And it's a sensory experience where, okay, we're, we're in this beautiful spot where it's not sensory overload. There's not too much happening, but it's a sensory load that's all-encompassing. Does that make sense? It's not a sensory overload where everything is just, you know, going off like fireworks, but it's all encompassing. And so our body just relax. The feeling of going into a bath stressed and getting out being like, oh, I know the next steps. It's, it's not like there's a, a buttload of science behind it that says this is good for you because your brain can actually come back online. When we come in here, we want the temperature to be right. We want the lights to be right. We want the carpet to be comfortable. We want food and water available so that you can eat if needed, if you've come in hungry or thirsty. We, we want all of these things to be spaces where you're comfortable. And for our hosts, Elkie, Lindsay, a bunch of people who put in a lot of work, Joanna, to, to make sure that this space is set up for you, they think through all of this stuff before you come in uh, to make sure that everything is there so that you can walk into a space where you are sensorily, not a word, that works, sensorily comfortable. Yeah, we're making sense still. The final three senses that we often just don't talk about. Vestibular sense is your sense of balance. Yeah, it's not super useful in this context. No, it's very useful. It's like if, if you aren't feeling balanced, that's bad. Um, but it's your ability to, to stand upright and know that you're upright. Um, proprioception is your ability to know where you are in the space, surrounds movement. Um, as we said, that, that kind of comes back into if you need to go up and get a cup of tea, you're more than welcome to, to stand up. If you need to stretch out, go for it. If you feel uncomfortable with where you are in the room, you can, you can move around. For a lot of people, it's I can't have my back to the exit. I need to know where the exit is and I need to be close to it. And so we have big doors ready for you. It's, it's that sense of in space. Interoception is one of the hardest ones, but most important. It's your ability to feel your internal state. Your ability to feel your internal state. So most of us will be able to tell when we're hungry, yeah? Uh, people who've experienced certain types of trauma will really struggle with that. And so we try to bring that online, uh, knowing when we need to pee, you know, we still don't know how it is that our body knows that we need to pee. Like there's a mechanism there that, that is still science is trying to work it out. And we have some theories, but we'll get there eventually as a human race, I guess. But um, there's, there's this internal sense. Uh, a lot of people won't be able to feel that their heart rate is racing. Yeah? Or that their breath is kicking into gear. And so drawing our attention to those things and naming them becomes really important. So if you are feeling like your blood pressure's going up, your heart's racing, your, your breathing is intense, and actually labeling it and saying, no, that is anxiety. Like that, that's what that is. Or that is you panicking, or that is you emotionally distraught that's like naming those things becomes really important because once we name them, we can recognize them. And if we come online as we're zooming in to church uh, and we are listening to our bodies, we can say, okay, what's going on? What's taking place at this moment? Yeah, my, my heart's racing. 
I know that if I take some deep breaths, I can bring that heart rate down. You have control over your heart rate. I know that if I smell some thyme, that's going to bring my heart rate down. If I take three deep breaths with my feet on the ground, you know, all of these things that Buddhist traditions have been doing for centuries, millennia, if I take three deep breaths and really focus on that exhale, brings my parasympathetic nervous system online, start to feel more relaxed, start to feel like my brain can tune in a little bit more. Uh, I love this stuff. I just think it's so essential for people who've experienced hardship. And it's so essential for everybody because all of us know people who've experienced hardship. And what we want to do as a church is be this space where people can walk in and take deep breaths and they're not having to put on a show and they can take that mask down and they can relax and say, I really don't know what I believe about Jesus without being fearful of what might happen. We want to be a church where people can step in those doors and know that they will be safely embraced by a community where they can just relax. The way that we do that is a com- as a community is we're practicing this ourselves. We're practicing this ourselves. We're learning. We're trying to comprehend how we can just keep doing it better. Because at the end of the day, there's going to need to be, for most of us, a combination of some of these bottom-up things, top-down things, community love and therapy. There's going to need to be a wraparound of all sorts of care so that people can start to re-engage with their spiritual journey. Yeah? And that's the hope, the vision that we have of New City Church. We've come back to this so many times and we're going to go back again into it this evening, uh, is that all might find refuge and life in Jesus. Refuge and life. They just scream safety. They scream, once you're here, you're safe. My hope, my prayer um, is that New City Church would be a church characterized by people who do this stuff, who regulate, who recognize trauma, who long for trauma healing. As I said, tonight we've zoomed into the individual, um, the person. Next week we're going to zoom out and say, what does this look like as a church seeking to create connectedness, uh, because I think that's, that's the next level of trauma healing, connectedness. Can I pray for us? I'd love to. God, we thank you so much that you are a God of healing. You are a God of healing. God, we long to be a church of healing. God, we know that life can be hard. We run away from toxic positivity, which says everything's fine all the time, and we look at this world, and along with you, our hearts break with the pain of it. God, may we be known as people who are so abundantly 
giving of love that people would walk into this space. People who've been here for a week, people who've been here for years and know that this is a space where they can find healing in their journey. God, may that healing go beyond just a walk with Jesus and go into every facet of life so that we can see people flourish and thrive as they keep journeying in their understanding of who you are and what you have done for us. God, we thank you that we are loved in this space. We thank you that we are loved by you. We thank you that we are loved by your people. Thank you for healing. Thank you for healing us. Thank you for healing our community. Amen. Um, if, if any of this has thrown stuff up for you, um, and I dare say it has, uh, I would love to keep chatting about this either today or through the week, or um, please reach out to, to the people around you and say, hey, this, this is what I'm sitting with. Um, I said last week that this little series is going to be a bit lectury um, because it kind of makes it a bit clinical. It, it removes some of the... So I haven't told any stories of my... Really deliberately, um, because sometimes we just need to sit with the non-emotion before we can engage with the emotion. Trouble with that is as soon as we stop with the non-emotion, the emotion catches up. So I just want to name that uh, and say, you might feel all sorts of things. Maybe not tonight, maybe not this week, maybe in a, eventually you'll be like, oh, I really need to sniff that time. Um, and you'll, you'll feel those emotions. Um, I, I, my, my advice would be, uh, listen to your body. Recognize those emotions and chat to somebody. Chat through, through it with somebody. Um, seek out help. And so, so happy to do that with you. 